Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 323. My road trip continues here in Georgia, and I've reached my final destination before heading back home to South Florida. I'm now at the Eastlake Cup. This year, it's being played at the Atlanta Athletic Club. The four semifinalists from last year's Men's and Women's National Championship will be here, so that means Wake Forest for the women and Florida for the men, along with some of the other powerhouse programs from college golf. FSU, Stanford, USC, Texas A&M, North Carolina, and Georgia Tech. Make sure you're watching the action on Golf Channel there are several Haskins Award and Annika Award watch list players here, and while it's still early in the season, it never hurts to perform well in a televised college golf tournament. So I'll be keeping my eye on many of the top players from the men's and women's game, and also looking for those breakout players that will inevitably play a significant role in the postseason next spring. Before getting to my guest on this episode, just wanted to say a quick thanks to all my friends at Druid Hills Golf Club for the hospitality this past weekend. Druid Hills, as many of you know, is the host of the Dogwood Invitational. That's really the big kickoff tournament of the summer amateur golf schedule. And next summer, it'll be my third year providing coverage of that tournament. But you know, I never actually got a chance to play the golf course. But that all changed this past Saturday. So thanks again to Director of Golf Gus Barchers, Head Pro Ryan Mosley, and General Manager Joey Wheeler for a great afternoon at Druid Hills on Saturday. Such a special place, an amazing golf course, and it really does pop in the fall. But I can't wait to get back next summer for the Dogwood Invitational. Now, during my travels this week, I actually got the opportunity to accomplish another first here at the back of the range. Not really sure why it took this long to do it, but, you know, there's a first time for everything. And it occurred earlier this week, at the Noonan practice facility at Georgia Tech. Now the Noonan is their 13 acre complex on the edge of the Tech campus in Midtown Atlanta. That's where the Yellow Jackets get their work in. Indoor hitting bays, track man, chipping greens, putting greens that run an 11 on the stimp, and more routings and target greens that you can imagine. Now the best part, according to my guest, is there's no ball picker. That means the players on the team have to shag their own balls, so that makes every shot have a little bit more purpose. Maybe that's something to think about next time you're on the range. What if I actually had to pick up all these golf balls? Well, the Georgia Tech team has to do that. Now, as much as I would have liked to hit some, I was there to record the first podcast episode of the Back of the Range at a school's practice facility. There are so many good facilities out there. I hope to visit many more in the future, but this was a fantastic start. My guest on this episode is Christo Lamprecht. He is the reigning amateur champion. Now, for those that need a little clarification, that's the British amateur, but we don't, we don't call it that. We just say he's the amateur champion. He parlayed that into low amateur honors at the Open Championship at Hoylake this past summer. He's a senior at Georgia Tech, currently number two in PGA Tour U rankings. And as of today, he's number two in the world. But don't be surprised if Christo and Gordon Sargent from Vanderbilt flip-flop those one-two spots for the rest of the spring. 
We spoke about his start in the game in South Africa, the culture shock he experienced when coming to Atlanta, and how he manages his time between his studies and his passion for golf. Let's get started. My guest here at the back of the range, uh, Christo Lamprick. We are literally at the back of the range here at Georgia Tech. Welcome, sir. How are you? Fine, listen you. I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, I kind of thought of that this morning. I was like, back of the range. Back the of back range. of the it's, range it's is now funny. at the back of the range. You're here at Georgia Tech. Um, this is actually the first episode I've recorded at a school's practice facility. And I'm looking here. Um, I don't know how you ever leave this place. So describe what describe the pr- practice facility here at Georgia Tech a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny how people kind of describe it as though Ace is off of 14th Street. Um, it's in the middle of downtown Atlanta, which is crazy to think about it. Um, but yeah, it's just a really special place, and I love spending my time out here. And and uh, it's kind of like our little own world uh, off of campus. Yeah. So uh, no, I love it out here. And I mean, I think there's a coach always says that there's there's no reason not to get better out here. So. And you live like you were just telling me earlier that you, you're like you, your balcony faces the range, so you just wander out of bed and and you're here. Yeah, I mean, you can, I can probably jump off my balcony onto the range. Don't do that. Um, Don't I, do that. I won't. I won't. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, no, it's pretty special. We can just probably walk up, walk from our apartment straight to the range, and uh, yeah, I think it's always been convenient. I think a lot of the players have lived here over the years, so it's it's just been kind of part of the program, I guess, and everyone lives up out here. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's really convenient, really nice. So you got hitting bays, obviously all the, all the gadgets, the track van, the Sam putting lab and, and get the video work done, chipping greens. And then it looks like there's, I mean, I'm looking out at, at two, three, four, five, six target greens and different routings. I'm sure as a freshman coming in, you, the wow factor hits you maybe a little bit more than it has now as a senior. How has your approach to practice evolved? since getting on campus and seeing this, you know, uh, you know, this, this fantasy land of, of, of practice, basically, how has your practice, uh, uh, theory and, and approach changed over the years? Yeah, I think, I think before coming here, practicing in South Africa on just the basic range and not doing just pounding a bunch of golf balls, um, a lot different, I guess. And then since coming here, I think it's, it's being a lot more specific. I think that's a really highlighted word. Uh, and really just zoning in on the right things and, and building a certain strengths and, and building, I guess, building parts of my game that are important to me, not to anyone else or et cetera. So um, it's pretty special. There's a lot of wedge opportunities out here, and that's kind of what I've been zoning in on a lot of the years. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been helping my game a lot. Are you are, now I'm, I'm guessing you have to be a range rat if you're here or, or are you more of a just kind of loosen up and get out of here and go play? Where would you find where do you think you sit on that? Yeah, I wouldn't call myself a range rat. Um, a lot of my teammates joke about me. Um, I don't practice enough or oh. I don't play enough. I don't spend enough time with golf. But I think when I step out here, it's very specific. Um, I think growing up with a body is changing constantly. I, I had a lot of injuries. And so I didn't always have time to just go stand there and hit 1,000 golf balls every day. My body couldn't handle it. Um, so I think I've just learned over the years just to work smart and not harder. Um, so when I'm out here, I'm just hitting a bucket of balls that, that, that bucket of balls means a lot. Sure. Um, it's not just, let me try to figure out what's wrong today. Um, so yeah, I think I'm out here a lot more than I am playing. Um, I think, and if I'm playing, I'm playing for something. There's definitely something on the line and I enjoy the whole competitive part of it. Sure. Um, but so when I'm out here, yeah, it's, I love being out here. So yeah. Yeah. I'm looking here. I'm just thinking, uh, how do you, how do you ever get out of this? It's such a unique little pocket, just right. Like you said, right in the middle of downtown. 
Uh, home must be very nice right about now, just getting back from Abu Dhabi at the World Amateur Team Championships. I spoke to several guys while they were over there, and I, I think I need to get a definitive answer. Was Abu Dhabi hotter than Greyhawk National Championship? I would 100% say it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, that's... It was it was really hot. Um, I think it was... The, the easiest way to describe it, it was it was a Greyhawk feeling with the Florida humidity. Oh, no. Um, it was not a good combination. <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm not a big fan of heat in general. Okay. I don't like the whole humidity slash desert. I, I just don't like heat in general. Okay. Um, and uh, having that mixture, it was a tough one for me to deal with the whole week. Now, I know you're going to be moving on to the pro ranks pretty soon, but there's a South African that I think is going to stay behind for a year or two. Uh, Christian Moss, he joined you over there. I know I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get that lunatic on this podcast yes, at, so, at some point. I know I'm gonna have to do it. I'm putting it off for a while to get as much dirt as I can on him and learn as much as I can. Uh, give me some. Give me something I need to talk to to Moss about in the future when I when I do have him on the podcast. Um, one thing is you gotta you gotta talk to him about is. Um overprivileged school oh that, wow that he oh, went to you're going hard right i'm the going paint. straight up wow yeah, he went to a private well not a private semi-private boys school okay in, uh, up north in south africa and they just get a lot of trouble from any other school in south africa oh, okay they're, so they're, yeah they're he the has the ego the he has the ego about it and the, we give him a lot of trouble for it okay um so that's one thing you definitely have to pick up and, and give him trouble about um but yeah he loves dishing it out he loves getting it so um yeah, it, he's he's probably someone that you definitely should have on the podcast. I love too. it. So he's a kind of a kind of a pretty boy, had a little privileged upbringing. Oh, this is great. This is yeah. oh, that's all I need. I don't need much more than that. No, you don't. That's perfect. Um, so you're you're starting the game, South Africa, uh, you know, Western Cape. Uh, give me a little bit of just you know how you got into the game. Who put a club in your hand for the first time, and um, you know a little bit about your start. Yeah, so my dad kind of got the golfing bug. I'm I'm the youngest of three and two older sisters, so my dad never had a, a son to play sports with and stuff. So um, I guess when I was born, and my dad started playing golf a bunch, and uh, he started loving golf. So I was in the golf cart before I can even remember. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I loved sports growing up, so anything... My mom always said I was a, kind of like a dog. When there was a ball bouncing, I was there. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, so, yeah, any sports growing up, obviously South African sports, not quite American sports, unfortunately. Not a, but, not a big uh, ice skater. Got yeah. it. <laughs> Got it. No problem. No. So, I, I, I loved playing golf and kind of fell in love with it at a very young age. I think I played my first round of golf when I was five. First competitive tournament when I was like seven or something. So, um, yeah, it's kind of I started off early, loved it, and kind of never looked back since and and i know you're big into tennis big into rugby you, you know here in the states i think everyone that listens to this or follows junior amateur college golf knows the the natural you know junior golf and ajga and the state all that what was kind of the junior golf i guess uh setup for you that allowed you to get to the point where you know you're winning the south african amateur youngest to do so you're winning that you're you're getting noticed by by U.S. college coaches. What was kind of the junior golf landscape in South Africa? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit similar, I guess, to an extent to an Ameri- as America. It's uh-huh. not obviously as as high strung as an American. And, and, and very well said. It's very very well said. The American American golf, um, I guess, how it is for kids is that they have to start playing competitively early and good. Yeah. Um, and I think it is the same with South Africa. We just don't have the depth and the amount of players, obviously, as America, but. It was very similar. I mean, we played a lot of schedules around the, around the, around the country and uh, I guess got a lot of exposure with comp- competing. But I think what was very different, and I, I'm kind of grateful for it, was the fact that our younger players get 
I guess, exposure into the amateur ranks really early. I started kind of stopped playing junior golf when I was like 15 and so started playing nas- a lot of amateur golf. National team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and playing a lot of amateur tournaments and stuff. So I think I got kind of taught by playing against older guys, better guys, and, and guys that are way longer than me. So I kind of had to adapt my game. And I think that's very helpful to who I am as a golfer now. So I think that's one big difference I felt kind of felt with South African golf versus America. What was the culture shock coming into, uh, you know, Atlanta, Georgia and playing, a, you know, ACC tournaments and, you know, here in the States coming from South Africa? I mean, big culture shock or was it? Yeah, I think it's still a culture shock. I okay. think I think there's a lot of differences from where I grew up. I mean, I grew up from a small beach, beach town. Um, and uh, obviously it was really, it still is very golf orientated. So I'm like a little Pinehurst in South Africa, where I'm from. It's a really golf-rich area. Um, but yeah, it's small. My hometown's really small. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the whole culture shock to the big the, city. The traffic must have, like, the first couple months coming and seeing this. To an like, extent. Like, what is this? To wow. an extent, for sure. Um, it was definitely different. A whole city. I, I kind of wanted to come to a place that I wasn't u- u- kind of used to Okay. in South Africa. Um, I was looking at a couple of colleges with small towns, and I was, like, telling my dad that, like, I don't want to leave hometown go across the world to another hometown. Yeah. Uh, I kind of wanted a different experience and kind of wanted to experience that all. So just basically getting uncomfortable. I mean, you have to be uncomfortable on the golf course and survive. So you might as well get into a living environment or a campus life that is a little bit uncomfortable or something new and get it and adapt, adapt to that. Yeah. hundred percent. I love giving things to uh, listeners. Uh, so that, especially for juniors, uh, you're a, um, uh, all-American scholar, not just All-American on the golf course, but a scholar as well. And you're coming into a very competitive golf program, rich history, Division One, challenging for conference championships and national championships every year. And it's also a very challenging academic school as well. So that being said, you're a finance major here at Georgia Tech. Yep. So how do you balance a full schedule of college golf and sprinkle in some amateur tournaments as well and also making grades and not just, not just, you know, making enough grades to be eligible, actually succeeding and thriving. How do you balance that? Um, that has single-handedly been, I think, the hardest thing here at, uh, in college, I think, for any athlete. I think a student, being a student athlete, it's, right. it's very, I guess, not talked about enough and how hard it actually is. So I think that's kind of where the most growing up part has been for me since I've been here at Tech, um, which is a good thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it just, it, it's a lot of balance and a lot of saying no when you really want to say yes, um, to a lot of things. So, um, it's grown, I think I've grown up a lot of because of it and it's made my golf on the golf course a lot better because of off the golf course being committed to a lot of things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of change and I think, I think any junior golfer needs to go through that change to an extent. I think college golf is amazing. Um, obviously it's important to be, be where you're supposed to be and enjoying it wherever sure. you are. But I think college golf is, is fundamental for a lot of junior kids to play good, good golf after college and professional career. So do you just live and die with your calendar and your, and your iPhone? I mean, do you, are you a very like, okay, on Mondays I'm doing this on Tuesdays, I have my workouts, I have my studying, I have a class that I have to hit balls. I mean, do you go very segmented or maybe how do you do that? It's funny. I have like my days of being like OCD and I have sure. my days of being like, where am I supposed to be? <laughs> What's going on that I just missed 15 minutes ago, like a, a lecture or something. So I, uh, I have my days where I'm on top of everything and I have my days where I'm completely out of everything. But, um, yeah, we all have our good days and bad days, yeah. but 
yeah, I'm not not quite an OCD guy, but some you get in a rhythm here where you know something's about to happen in 20 minutes time. You just got to figure out what it is. Um, so yeah, I guess to an extent, your brain runs on a clock here. Who uh, who were some of the upperclassmen that kind of had it all figured out when you came in as a freshman that you you looked up to? Bartley Forrester. Bartley, he's still here. Bar- he's part of the furniture here at Tech. Okay, so I, I'm glad you he brought knows that. what's going I'm on. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel that it, like all the guys kind of run together. And, you know, some guys leave. Some, but I feel like Bartley Forrester's been here for like nine years. Yeah, no, he's a sixth year senior. Uh, okay. He's planning on a seventh year. Now I'm just kidding. Um, no, but it, it's really funny that we've been joking around with him. It was like trying to figure out if he could medical red shirt, if we accidentally kick him down the <laughs> stairs or, so, or something. Um, but yeah, it's really funny. He's, he's been here for a while, but he's loved college. He's doing a master's degree right now. Of so course. I mean, cause you know, he's one of my roommates and then obviously Hiroshi Tai, which is, uh, he was two years in the military service. Sure. So I've yeah. got the two most get together guys in my apartment. I feel like a clown some days. I just feel like I don't have life figured out and they do. I feel like but, yeah, um, Bartley's like, is he like a guest lecturer at some of the classes here on campus? He might be next year, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're going to name a wing or a building after him or something. But yeah. yeah, I feel like he's been here a while. Um, last summer, you capture the amateur at Hillside and, um, you know, gets into the open at Hoylake. You have this magical start. I know we're just kind of jumping around, but I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you get this magical start at the open, shoot 66. And then, uh, you know, second round, things change dramatically. You shoot 79. Now you make the cut. You capture the silver medal. Um, It's a great achievement, but I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think about what actually happened in those two days. This situation could happen again. I mean, you got Masters coming up in April. You got the U.S. Open. You have a professional career to come to where you're going to have those hot starts shooting 66 or, or below. What did you learn about yourself in that situation where you went from really the highest of highs to... Oh my gosh, I I might I might miss the cut. Yeah, um, it was funny. Uh, obviously, our assistant coach Dev Stanton was on the. Uh huh. He was on the back for me that week, and I told him after the week ended, I was like, I think I had every emotional emotion possible the uh-huh. whole week. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think I'm so grateful that I was in that position come Thursday afternoon. Um, that I was leading in an an open. I mean, obviously, everyone everyone wants to do it, but sure. I think what I learned for myself and, and everything that it entails of leading an, an, a major um, is, is, is crazy, crazy. It's ridiculous. Um, so I think I'm really grateful that I really experienced that already. Uh, Stuart Sink, which is one of the grads here, um, he was on the golf course and I was really mad about my round Friday and I just snuck in uh, um, on the cut line and he was in the locker room with me and he's like, dude, I've played for 35 years. I've led a major three times. You've, you haven't even turned pro yet. You led a major before. So yeah. don't get too hard on yourself. Um, there's plenty more chances and whatever not. So, um, yeah, I think I'm all in all really pleased with the week. I'm really gutted that I kind of didn't kind of do what Sam Bennett did last year in the Masters and not kind of keep on playing really good golf. Just didn't have it. And that's golf sometimes. So you're going to have that. So, um, but yeah, it's a great experience. So, you know, we've all, you know, golf fans, we watch the majors religiously and all the, press conferences and the post round, uh, you know, uh, the quick quote area and all that stuff, you know, we watch it, but you know, literally when you're watching on TV, you just, you watch golf and they cut to a crystal lamprick and they go back to golf. We have no idea what happens behind the scenes. So you sign your card after the 66 and just 
like th- just an army of people are just whisking you everywhere. Mayhem. Okay, so talk about that. Mayhem. Because that's what people don't get to see. They see you actually yeah. a little bit calm afterwards. They give you a little bit of time to kind of get your breath. But yeah, w- explain the mayhem. Yeah, so I, I teed off. Pr- I well, I teed off pretty late. Uh, no, early. I teed off yeah. early. So the, the Thursday, and I think I was done at like one o'clock or so. And uh, I did six interviews, and when all the media stuff was done. And I went to go way back in the gym. It was 4.30. So I think I was there for like an, two hours, just straight up media for two hours. Um, I did like five different interviews, different like, I guess, TV stations or whatever not. Did three radio station interviews. Um, and then they wanted me to go to the range for something too. And I was just like, this is too much. Yeah. Um, so it was crazy. And that's, that's a Thursday of a major. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to know leading Saturday night, like how that feels. So, yeah, it was a lot, but it's also – it's crazy as an amateur. That's, like, what, what I wanted to learn was the fact that, like, how much of that off the golf course is actually just crazy for, for amateur – for tour pros that are on top of the world every single day. And this is their weekly thing. Yeah. It's their, it's their week – day-to-day schedule. So, it's like, you're, you're, this is happening, dude. You're thinking, like, oh, my gosh, this is this is what this is what this means to do this on a, on a yearly basis. You're leading a major – and well, I'm guessing you know, with an amateur, it's going to be a little bit different because yeah. they just, but yeah, that had to be like, I mean, you're telling the same stories for four hours straight. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot. I mean, it, it caught me off guard and I think, I mean, I was really trying to stay focused on what I was doing and, and not get ahead of myself. And I think I did a pretty good job in the moment, um, and not getting ahead of myself. I obviously didn't play great on Friday, but I still thought like, it's crazy how much it just gets to you without even noticing it. Yeah. Um, I like, I, I did a good job where I turned my phone off after Thursday. I didn't take any calls, nothing. I didn't look at any notifications. I was just focused on getting to bed, getting some good rest. And it was still, I woke up the next morning and I like, I probably didn't sleep much. So it's crazy how that affects your day to day life. But, um, it's a lot of lessons learned, I guess. Devin, uh, you're Devin Stan, the assistant here at Georgia Tech caddied for, uh, for Ogletree when he won the USAM in 19. Uh, I think he was caddying for Steelman, uh, in at Ridgewood. He was counting for someone at Ridgewood at the USAM. So I know he was there because I remember seeing him. He has tons of experience. He's a former tour caddy. Uh, those last few holes on Friday, uh, before, just getting it in the house, a lot of heart to hearts, or was it just a lot of, was it not a lot of conversation? How, how did, I mean, you have a re- great relationship with him. So did he break character? Did you break character? How did you get it done? No, I think he was instrumental to me making that cut. Right. Um, I think obviously starting off the high on Thursday and Friday morning, at, uh, Friday afternoon, just uh, the weather was horrendous. It was raining. It was windy. It's really hard. And, and I just start. I just started off on the back foot on, on the get go, and it was really hard the whole day. I was struggling, and uh, he kind of found a way just to keep on making jokes and keep on having laughs at it. I think I got really miserable on thirteen when I made a bogey. And I knew I was like, okay, now I'm really on the cut line. Like, I'm in trouble. Um, and he was like, dude, like, what did we say at the start of the week? We're just going to have fun. Yeah. So just just act like you're having fun and just go and do it. Um, so, yeah, he, him being casual on the bag is kind of what I like in the caddies, like having someone just to laugh around with. Um, so, yeah, he was instrumental to me making that cut on Friday. Cannot even imagine what that must have been like those last few holes. And just teeing it up on Saturday, the weight of the world must have just been off your shoulders at that point. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, mean, even you got the, I'm pretty, you were the only amateur to make the cut, I believe. Yeah. Weren't you? So, so I guess all the, all the pressure was a little bit off. You got the medal, nice. two free rounds of golf, and then, you know, nice little ceremony afterwards. 
Um, let's switch gears uh, back to the to World Am. Um, you played with uh, David Ford over there in Abu Dhabi, and and David, uh, uh, you know, I asked him how to go. How was it playing with, the, with with Christo? And he said he's the he might have the be the best driver of the golf ball in in golf. And he's saying not not college golf. He's saying golf. So it's such a big weapon in your game. Can you maybe talk about how you in, in a practice round when you're scouting a golf course, like you're going to go look at Atlanta athletic club later today to get ready for the East Lake cup. I know you've played there several times, but when you look at a par four or par five, are you kind of analyzing a hole on how it relates to your ability to hit the driver? How do you kind of walk through a golf hole like that? Yeah, I think, I think my, the way of, I, going about a golf course has changed a lot over the years. I think I used to be as a kid, it's all I used to do is this driver go crazy and go at it all the time. Um, I think more recently it's been it's kind of be more percentage play. Um, okay. Being, I think it's just picking the right moments of being aggressive. I love being an aggressive golfer. I just think picking the right moments where hitting driver here is there is the reward there for a risk, um, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, yeah, I think it's I pick a little different lines off a tee most most of the times than other guys do, but uh, yeah, it's just it's just finding a balance between aggression and stupid aggression. So, um, <laughs> and I think I've, I've I've done better over the years about regarding that. Be aggressive, just don't be stupidly aggressive. Yes. When you're swing, so you're swinging. I know this is an audio medium, so people will have to look and and follow you on TV, pull up YouTube, see what you did the open. Um, but your swing has. A, a decent amount of lateral movement and also vertical movement, you know, with a, with a move down towards the ball at impact. So when, when things are not feeling great, and this is again, something to relay for listeners, you know, when they're trying to, okay, the swings off, how do I get it back? What drills do you have that you like to do to try and get back on track when things are kind of going sideways or you're just, you're not feeling as, as comfortable over the ball, especially with longer clubs. Yeah. I think it's it's scary to say it, and a lot of it's a lot of players always like a lot of amateurs think, "Come on, that can cannot be the reason." But I think with a lot of us like competitive golfers, I think timing is a big issue oh, yeah. sometimes to hitting a golf ball like that, uh, and it, sometimes it just goes off because your sequencing is out. And so for me, it's it's a, a very much trying to get connected connected again with my golf swing and kind of getting all the motions of the club moving in the cor- correct way with my body. Um, so it's a lot of just a bit of connective work. Um, and then just really emphasizing on is my timing correct? Am I getting too fast um, on the way down, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lot of just more timing, timing stuff. You're uh, you're getting ready to again, like I said, play the East Lake Cup. Um, you're going to be there along with uh, Florida State, North Carolina, and also the champions of last year, Florida, that beat you in the final. Um, this is a great tournament because it gives you, first of all, more TV exposure for the programs on Golf Channel. Uh, there's an element of match play that's going to get you ready for ACCs. Like last year, you won the program's 19th. That's so this correct. year, you're going for the 20th mm-hmm. ACC championship. That's a great opportunity for you as you're in your last year here at Georgia Tech. But yeah, those uh, those Gators are going to be there waiting for you at the East Lake Cup. Is this a last year is last year, or is there maybe a little bit of revenge you'd like to get there? Or I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? Yeah, no, I don't think it's clear-cut revenge. I think, um, I guess everyone, especially myself, I hate losing. So Losing's not fun. If I get beat by someone, I'm definitely going to step up the next time I face them and try harder and really want to, wanting to beat them a little bit more than I did before, I think. I think it's natural for any competitor to feel like that way. 
but no, there's there's no bad blood. They beat us in that day. They played better golf than we did. Um, and uh, and Yushin left. He left. He went to go play pro golf. He's not even going to be yeah. here. To, not, so I mean, half, uh, Ricky left. And, Ricky uh, left. Fred left. So yeah, half, half their, it's not not the same team that beat us. But um, I mean, it, it'll. It, I think it's more just of us seeing how good we can play and not worry about kind of everyone else. I think that's that's a key part of golf and, and winning is, is worrying about what you can take care of and not everyone around you. So, yeah, well, that's going to be fun to see. And, uh, you know, with North Carolina there and, and Georgia, I mean, there's a lot of strong teams that are going to be there. Um, I think the national, I mean, we have a long way to go before every to the postseason, but it's, it's going to be fun. There are, um, you know, you're here at Georgia tech. You have such a rich history here. Starts with Bobby Jones. I mean, greatest of all time. And then you mentioned Stuart sink and David Duvall and Kucher and um, you know, Barnes and Yates and I mean just goes on and on uh how much did have you appreciated just getting to know and 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 see the history I mean I think you're the only the third player from Georgia Tech in in history to win the amateur championship yeah I I mean you're you're, I mean when people say you're in the same sentence as that's ridiculous uh when you can basically say that you and Bobby Jones have won the same tournament and you're two of three to do it at Georgia Tech does that still kind of register a little bit and just be like, did that really just happen? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's so it's it's nice to be even remotely named in the same, I guess, light as those players, especially with Georgia Tech's rich history. So um, it really is a pleasure, and it's it's obviously an honor for me to even remotely be talked in the same light as Bobby Jones. So, well, that's uh, that's going to be fun. I'm going to get you out of here because I know you got to go practice. But uh, one of your uh, boyhood idols and also uh you know you've gotten to know him pretty well uh louis Ustays and another south african and have you spent time with him give me a good louis story if you got one if you got one that's appropriate for for a, a pg-13 rated podcast yeah i think a really good louis story i'm trying to think of of many of them um how many tractors does he own right about now i i i don't even know it's scary i think he made a promise to everyone that knew him at the time when he, if he wins his first PGA Tour event or any event, he would buy himself a tractor. And I think the first big event he won was the Open in 2010. Yeah. And I think he bought two or three. <laughs> and uh, no, I think the, the one thing I can say about Louis is the fact that he just he loves farming more than anything. And I think a lot of people know that about him. I think a really good story to, to tell everyone. It's very recent, actually. A story to tell about Louis was um, he was actually. I, I just came off winning the British Am and a lot of people were kind of congratulating me and he called me that afternoon straight after the tournament and uh, he called me and just started yelling at me. Not not out of congratulations. He was like, so he picked up the phone and obviously going to translate. He speaks in Afrikaans, but it, the words pretty much said, he's like, why did you make me so stressed? I'm on holiday. And uh, I was just like enjoying my time and now I have to go and watch you play and like barely lose, win, lose, win. Like, what are you doing? Stop playing, play, play better golf, like win more convincingly. Wow. And I was like, okay, sorry. Thanks, and, Louis. Um, and I kind of tripped back. I was like, hey, you got a tournament next week. Why are you on holiday? He's like, well, I don't care. I'm, I'm a professional golfer. I can do what I want. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, Louis, it's, he's been a great role model of mine and, and I have so much respect for him and he's a great uh 
really down to earth person. I have so much respect for him too. One final one to get you out of here. That's a good one. Louis giving you crap for not winning the British Am in a manner that would be more comfortable for him in his holiday. Yeah, yeah that's that's, <laughs> that's facts. I guess you could do that when you're Louis season. You got a lot to play for this year. It's your final year at Georgia Tech. You have PGA Tour U, where you're, I guess, number two at the present time. Your world amateur golf ranking was one. Now it's two. I have a feeling that you and Gordon are going to be trading that basically every single week for the for the next few months. And then also you're trying to get a national champ for Georgia Tech. All of that. How do you how do you balance all of that? Do you try and push it all out of your mind? I know it's a lot to think about when you're just trying to hit a small little white ball. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been a big part of what me and Coach have been talking about, Coach Hepler here. He's kind of been very instrumental in how I think and how I go about stuff like that. I mean, off the golf course, he's probably the best coach in college golf, without a doubt, in my opinion. So um, I think we've kind of just talked about just controlling what I can control and uh and the only things I physically can control is in a golf hole far and straight and getting in the hole for as least amount of shots as I possibly can. And all the other stuff off the golf course will take care of itself. Um, my dad always said good golf pretty much takes care of everything. Yes, it does. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty much just all these things are nice. But, yeah, I just got to go do my thing on the golf course and it, and it kind of will, it'll sum up at the end of the day good golf takes care of everything but great golf makes louis who stays unhappy <laughs> yeah so that's really it there we go quote of the day quote of the day go uh go enjoy your time at east lake cup and uh, have a great season um i know this is kind of the last one for the fall got the holidays and then we'll pick it back up uh, in january i appreciate you i normally see that i'm a little flustered right now normally i say thank you for stopping by the back of the range but I guess I need to say thank you for allowing me to stop by the back of the Georgia Tech. I was about to say, thank you for stopping by. Here, here, go ahead. You you close the episode out. Ben, thank you for stopping by at the back of the range here at Georgia Tech. And there you have it. Special thanks to Christo Lamprecht for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range.